Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. 19 years ago, September 11th, 2001, we will spend some time talking about that in the 1 o'clock hour of the program today. A lot of stuff before that. You know, th- this is a story with, with all the social justice protests and things of the like. It, it's it's kind of been lost, and, and especially over the last couple of weeks as we talked about the rioting that went on in Kenosha and all that. Um, it, it's it's I think starting to slip below the cracks. But but here's the number to keep in mind: the number is 124. 124. You know what that number is? That's the number of homicides already in the city of Milwaukee. And keep in mind, we're not halfway through September yet. 124. Let me put that in comparison. The same time last year, 2019, there were 62 homicides in the city of Milwaukee. So you're talking about literally twice as many homicides this year as last year. Now, in fairness, 2019 was an unusual year. The the, the numbers were perhaps lower than they normally would. But the idea of 100 homicides for the longest time has been absolutely unthinkable. And, and seriously, if this pace continues, you're going to have to go back probably to, I don't know, the, the era of crack cocaine and war between street gangs in Milwaukee to have that type of homicide number. Now, I bring this up only because as, as we talk about, oh, let's defund the police and and let's put more money into this social justice program or that social justice program, you shouldn't lose sight of the fact that the the city of Milwaukee is a killing field. And it's not unlike uh, what's going on in other urban areas, Baltimore, Chicago, for example. But, you know, it's everything in Chicago, everything involving Kenosha and involving the social justice protests and the things of the like are in some cases, I think, distracting us from what is perhaps the larger story that's out there, which is, 124 homicides. And again, we're, we're probably, if this continues, and there's no reason to believe that it's going to abate, this continues, you're probably going to have to go back 30 or 40 years to find a similar number of murders in the city of Milwaukee. And of course, we're not talking uh, about that. We, we don't hear the, the protests about, all right, the, the people who are being senselessly gunned down on the streets of Milwaukee on a daily sort of basis. And I just... I don't want that number to get lost. And I'm not saying that the social justice movement and some of these issues aren't legitimate. Of course they are. But at the same time, if you want to talk about what is really devastating as far as violence, communities in urban areas, including Milwaukee, 124 homicides. Okay, we have a fast-paced program today because, like I said, I want to spend some time during the 1 o'clock hour talking about 9-11. So we're going to move through a number of different topics quickly. On yesterday's program, we spent some time talking about this this request from the Dane County Executive to send all the kids at UW-Madison home. 
His idea was, well, we, we've had these these college students that have come. There's been a huge outbreak of COVID-19 for a variety of reasons. But I think in, in many cases, it's because college kids are college kids. And they, they didn't want to ignore the fact that, gee, I know I'm supposed to be social distancing. But you know what? There's a kegger going on. So I'm going to head over. and I'm going to participate in that kegger. And then I'm going to get sick. And then I'm back in the dorms where you've got a lot of people that are living on top of each other. And all you need is one or two people to get sick. And suddenly you've got you know, 10, 20, 30 people that are sick. So the Dane County executive came out and he said, well, I, I think we should send everybody home. I, I think we should close the dorms and send everybody home. Now, I thought and we discussed that that was a, a staggeringly stupid idea because, all right, let, let's take a bunch of people who have been exposed or might have been exposed to COVID-19. Um, maybe they're symptomatic. Maybe they're asymptomatic. Let's take them and let's spread them across the state or across a multi-state region. Let's send them back to their parents. Let's send them back to interact with their grandparents. Let's send them home so that we can take this and make sure we spread this disease all across the state. That was my point. All right, so at least so far, the University of Wisconsin-Madison has not ordered the dorms closed and kids sent home. What they have done is they put people on a quarantine. They've essentially said, all right, here, here's the deal. You're in the dorms. You're going to have to stay in the dorms. You're, you're going to have to shelter in place. I hate to use that phrase, but that's what it is. You, you know, you, you can leave the university. But once you leave the university, you're essentially not going to be allowed to come back to student housing. So that that's going to be all over. But for the next two weeks... If you're going to stay in the dorms, you have to stay in the dorms, right? So this is now prompting a lot of parents and students to wrestle with the idea of, well, what do we do? Should we stay in the dorms for the next couple weeks knowing that, uh, well, there I guess there's a possibility that somebody in the dorms, even with the shelter in place, might get sick, and you've got all these people that are living in close quarters and they're sharing the same bathrooms and things like that. If you're the parent, do you tell the kids, okay, stay there for the next two weeks and let's see where we go, or do you say, nope, you're coming home, come on back, get out of the dorms, maybe you've been exposed, maybe you haven't been exposed, but I want you back home, knowing that that means that especially if you're living in the dorms, you're not going to be able to get back into student housing until maybe next semester, maybe. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If I had a college-age student, I would say, and we'd already made the decision to send them off to school, my response would be, stay where you are, stay in place, let's see where this goes, try to take care of yourself, stay there for two weeks, I don't want you coming back home. That's what I would say. What would you say? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you tell the kids, stay where you are, or do you say, time to come home, and you bring them home, knowing that they're then going to have to stay at home for... Again, probably the rest of first semester at least because they're not going to be allowed back in the dorms when this all ends. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I tell my kids, stay where you are. What do you do? We discuss in a minute. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, officials at UW-Madison aren't forcing people to leave campus. What they've said is we're... If 
in certain dorms, we're doing a quarantine. So if you're staying in these dorms, you're going to be there for the next two weeks. And we're going to have all these rules. You know, you're going to, we're not going to allow large groups. So you're essentially going to be trapped in small dorm rooms for the next couple weeks. They're canceling in-person instruction for those two weeks. You have the option of, of going home breaking the quarantine and going home, whether or not you're going to be able to come back, that that's a matter that I guess we don't know. If that was your kid, would you leave them in the dorms or would you say, okay, you're you're coming home now, knowing that maybe that means you're not going to go, be able to go back for the balance of first semester? Let's start with Bill in Oconomowoc. Hi, Bill. You're on WTMJ. Uh, good afternoon. A wonderful topic. <clears throat> I think you may agree with me. First of all, it's a mistake that they're there. But now that they're there, we're going to say, well, okay, see what you can get done, quarantine yourself. We have too many science deniers, and we need the medical world to take charge of this. This should have been over uh, six months ago. Or not six months, I'm sorry, I apologize. Three months ago, easily. But because politics has gotten into this, we are approaching 200,000 before the year's end. We could see 300,000 because, remember, collectively, as we all go back to work, we all get inside from the weather. We are going to be super spreaders again. This keeps perpetuating itself without lack of direction. It's time for everybody to work together, not on political agendas, and have a national program across the board for everybody. Well, now, let, well Bill, let, let's focus on let's focus on co- on college kids. I mean, right, if, right, if, right, right, if right, college kids, let's okay, they well, need so, to come home. They need to come home for this reason. It is not uh, their choice that they were had to go there. That was an option that was exercised. So let's not make a bad situation worse. You quarantined a bunch of kids in dorm. I went to college. I think you did too. We know what goes on there. You're telling me that they're going to be adult enough. totally self-quarantine. You've got probably a lot of infected people Mm -hmm. in that college already. Okay, so let me ask you this. Okay, so then you take them out of the dorms, you bring them home, so they then, what are they going to do when they come home? Do you think they're going to, like, shelter in place, or do you think they're going to go out and hang out with their friends then? I'll tell you exactly. I had many friends this summer who had college kids, that had tested positive. They all quarantined at home, and guess who helped them make sure everything, that they were on top of it, their parents. Okay, well, thank, thanks for calling. I, I, I think that's really optimistic because, I mean, if you look at, at where the numbers have, have come from and where the spikes have come from over the course of the last several months, it's, it's younger people, and by younger people, I mean people 30 and under and particularly some of the younger groups where what you have is people that are think they're invincible and and just like i think one of the reasons that you've had the problem in the campuses has been okay we we know we're supposed to not hang out in large groups but there's a kegger down the hall we're going to go to that kegger or we're going to participate we're in off-campus housing etc yes 
when you're not under parental supervision, there's perhaps a greater chance of, of being able to do that. But at the same time, let, let's face it, you have the kids that go home, you, you have the graduation parties, you have the parties in general. Young people think that they are invincible, and so they're, they're still going to be going out. The only difference is if you bring them, at least in my opinion, if you bring them back into the community, um, what you're doing is you're moving it out of the dorms and you're bringing it back to Watoma, where they're going to be exposing their parents and their grandparents and other people, unless as the parents, you're going to sit there and say, okay, you're, you're going to quarantine yourself at home. And as a practical matter, how, how do you do that with, how do you do that with 18 and 19 and 20 and 21 year olds? Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me. Hi, Mark. What do you think? You know, I think that other caller got it right on the nail, but uh, I'd like to expand a little bit on it. Uh, yeah, we all, I think we can agree at this point, they probably shouldn't have been going back there in the first place. But now that they're there, the whole point of stopping the spread is to quarantine wherever you're at. I think that the best solution is for them to quarantine there, and let's stop pussyfooting around it. Uh, these are grown adults. And if they break the quarantine, then we should have a, a better presence there to to at least monitor or charge people that are going around doing the, the parties, the events that are going to spread this. Uh, if, if you want them to listen, actually enforce somehow, some way to make them stay in quarantine and then send them home if you feel that's what's necessary. But don't spread it any more than it already has. Uh, we, we've got to let science take over on this one because I, I'm tired of hearing people's opinions on this. You can have an opinion on this, an opinion on that, but if your opinion is not backed by science, then it's a pretty garbage opinion. <laughs> okay, thanks for call, Mark. Well, I guess I, I agree with you to the extent that it makes more sense to me to to keep people in in place. If you have if you have an outbreak that that has occurred because you have all these people together, it makes a lot more sense to me to say, okay, look, stay where you are. And what we're going to do is, especially these areas where, you know, you, you have, you know, people who've tested positive. Now, now the good news about this, and, and look, there's not a lot of great news about COVID, but the good news about coronavirus is most of the younger people who get it don't get really sick. Now, I understand there are exceptions. I, I get it. And nobody wants to have coronavirus. But if you look at, I mean, why are the number of deaths not spiking? Why are the number of hospitalizations not spiking? It's because the people who are coming down with COVID are, are, are younger people who are in general healthier. So it, it's not the same as, gee, we have this huge outbreak among people who are 80 some years old. My concern is you bring people back from the dorms, you pull the kids home. Home, you bring them back to the community, and unless you, mom and dad, are going to lock those kids up and, and guarantee that they're going to stay locked up for the next few weeks, good luck with that. What you're doing is you're bringing them out into the community where they might have a chance to interact with people who are more vulnerable, because that's what you Look, nobody wants to get this. I get it. I understand that. But you particularly want to make sure that the people who are going to have the really bad outcomes if they get sick, the people who are over 50, over 60, the people who have the underlying health conditions. And and as far as, you know, blaming the colleges, I, I, I guess I, I kind of blame 
I don't fault the colleges for trying to do this. I mean, the problem, I think, in general has been that you have a lot of, and it's it's predictable, I understand that, but you have a lot of college kids who have behaved, I, I think, in an irresponsible fashion. But you saw that during the summer as well. I mean, it's not just going to college. It's, again, it's been in the summer. Here, let's go out and let's hang out on a beach with 2,000 of our closest friends, and let's run to this graduation party, and let's run to that graduation party and you know we're not going to care if if we get sick that's i think been the the attitude and that's one of the things like i say that i think you've seen the big change it's the younger people who are are getting sick i think this is inevitable i guess um would i bring my kid back no i'd say look do what they're telling you, shelter in place, try to maintain your distance. But I don't want you coming back into the community where you can spread it to other people. Tough decision that I think people are going to have to make. Let's talk to Pam in Janesville. Pam, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Real well, thank you. What do you do um, here? Well, I've got a senior at Madison, and uh, she was in Paris at the time this all hit. We got her back early from abroad, and... I feel like we've done everything we were supposed to do, spent five months months trying not to get it. And I did say, I said, I bet you'll probably have it within a week of returning. And sure enough, she did. Okay. Um, she wasn't there a week and she got it. And not from going to a party or a bar. Or, uh, she just had a few girls in for, for wine. And uh, one of them was asymptomatic, had gotten tested because her boyfriend was coming. And within three days, they all had it. Yep. Uh, she's locked in a room. But now that you've made the decision to go, which was the decision to go to school, you can't send them home now. you got to stay the course. Um, she's been in her room. She will be in her room until Monday, uh, which will be the what they told her, 10 days of not leaving. And uh, she only comes out with gloves and a mask to make some food quick and goes back in her room using one of the bathrooms. The other girls are using the other bathroom and right. doing her best to stay quarantined and but you can't send these kids home now. You know, it just would be a nightmare. How how sick? I mean, has she been? Has she been sick? Has she been ill? Um, you know, she. It was interesting because she was with these. They were together. She got there on Saturday. Monday, they they got together in her apartment. Um, the girl went and got tested on Wednesday because her boyfriend was coming and wanted her to t- get tested before he came. Right. She called and said, "Hey, we're I'm positive. It had no symptoms." And at that point, my daughter did not have any symptoms, nor did any of her friends. But literally within about six hours, they all started feeling bad, went and got tested. They all had it. Mm. shes They've all been about the same thing, taste and smell. She said the first couple of days she had a slight fever, achy, real groggy. But she right. said, had I not known, had I not, had COVID not been around, she just figured I had the normal getting back to school. You get a cold or right. you're, not, you're Virus, not feeling yeah. great. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, but I think the kids need to stay put and just see this through um, at this point. And I'm a big believer in the coronavirus. Don't get me wrong. I I, no. I believe in the science. I, I'm not questioning any of this, but I think now that the decision was made to bring them back and now to turn around and send them home two weeks later just makes no sense. Well, not when you have an outbreak. No, thanks. Well, I agree with you, Pam, because then what, what, what is going to happen? You, you bring these kids, many of whom are maybe asymptomatic or are, are, are not, are not deathly ill, just just have some of these type of symptoms. You bring them back into surrounding communities. You know they're going to interact with other people who may be more vulnerable. I, I guess that that's why I think if it's my kid, I'm saying, look, just, just do exactly what you're doing. Stay the course. Try to keep yourself well. Try to keep yourself healthy. And then, you know, we'll see where we are in a couple weeks. It's 1229. 
Hey, there's something special about hometown teens. They're rooted in our backyard. They give you hope, passion, excitement, and they make an impact on your local community. That is why News Radio 620 WTMJ, that's us, is teaming up with Associated Bank to help local businesses grow and succeed by giving one deserving business an advertising campaign valued at, wait for it, 50000 bucks. This is legit. Businesses can enter at rebuildingwibusiness.com by September 27th. So you've got a couple weeks, but you, you need to get those applications in. Supporting our communities is a, in a, is a meaningful tradition. Associated Bank and News Radio 620, WTMJ, want to be on your team. Enter to win. We've got all the official rules of this contest, but this is serious. 50 grand to the winner. RebuildingWIBusiness.com. That's RebuildingWIBusiness.com. Associated Bank is a member of the FDIC. Sent out a tweet about this yesterday because it continues to, it's like, it's like that burr under the saddle. It's just, it's one of those things like that splinter that you can't get out that continues to bother me and just is emblematic of so many things that are wrong in this area and, and how, you know, if we, if we believe that if we believe that the, the way to move towards social justice and to take care of a lot of the problems, if we believe that it's okay by bringing jobs into some of the disaffected communities and things like that, this is one of these classic examples that you just shake your head. And it is a mistake that city officials, at least some elected officials made that is going to haunt this city for years. Um, I, I'm talking about this decision to essentially tell Strauss Brands in Franklin to go pound sand. Now, you might remember this story from a while back. What In Milwaukee, they call it the Century City Development. It's the old A.O. Smith location. It's like 31st and Capitol, right? And it's, it's in an area that is blighted. It's in an area that is overrun with crime. It's in an area where there is very, very little business development. And what the city did is they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this this blighted area, and we're going to try to turn it into a business park. And what we're going to do is we're going to try to recruit businesses to come to this business park. And once they come, they will provide jobs for the surrounding community. And our hope is that, if hey, if we can land some really good businesses, what will happen is that will spur other businesses to want to come into the area. That will be more more jobs for the community, and then what we'll see is other businesses will want to locate around there. Hey, if you've got a you've got a plant that's employing you know hundreds and hundreds of, of people, well, you know you're, you're going to need businesses that maybe service those, those that plant. We're going to need a place for the workers to get lunch. You're going to need all sorts of other stuff. But but the key is getting people in. Century City has been by and large a complete and total failure so far because with a couple exceptions, City Mall. Milwaukee hadn't been able to attract the type of businesses that these large employers to the area. And there's a lot of reasons for that, including the fact that the location's not great. It's not act, it's not close to the freeway. Um, and again, you've got all the problems with crime and things in the neighborhood. So what happens is, while back, Century City, the city of Milwaukee, works out a deal with Strauss Brands of, um, of Franklin. Strauss Brands is a, it's a, you know, it's a top-notch company. And, and what they are is they're, they're a meat processing plant. 
and they're located in Franklin. They've been around for years and years and years. And, and let me say this. Right? If, when you think about like a meat processing plant and a slaughterhouse, maybe you think about, I don't know, the it, maybe you read in high school, you read the, the, you know, Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, and you're thinking about, oh, this is how meat processing plants were in 1910. Well, th- that's not how it is now. You know, um, Strauss Brands, if you would go out to their facility in Franklin, and unfortunately, we'll get to this in just a second, no elected official apparently did that, you wouldn't know. You, you couldn't tell the difference between the slaughterhouse and the meat processing plant from like a box company or, or whatever. There, there's, it's just state of the art. This is completely and totally different from the way meat processing plants were 100 years ago. In any event, City of Milwaukee cuts, makes these arrangements that Strauss Brands, get this, they are going to relocate their operations from Franklin to this Century City business park that is essentially a ghost town with a one or two minor exceptions. It's a $60 million project, which would have initially brought 250 jobs. And the estimates were that they think the workforce might have de- have doubled within 10 years. And and by the way, for people who say, oh, these are just kind of crummy jobs. No, no, no. Th- these were union jobs. I think the average starting wage was supposed to starting wage was supposed to be between 14 and 17 bucks. And, you know, it, it's just this was exactly the type of shot in the arm that Century City needed. It was exactly the type of shot in the arm that that community needed. And, you know, for for Strauss, I mean, my big question was, why, why, what are you doing this? What do you gain out of it? And I'm sure there were some tax incentives. But one of the other things they said is, look, a, a lot of our workforce comes from this area. So, it, you know, we wanted to make it easier for our employees to get there. It's just a win-win situation all the, all along. So the plans for this $60 million project, unanimously recommended by the Redevelopment Authority Board, by Common Council Zoning, Neighborhoods Development Committee. Okay, so it's, it's all, this is on track. It's great. So what happens, though, is you have a couple animal rights protesters, that show up at the common council meeting and start whining about, well, it's, it's a meat processing plant. Well, yes, people eat meat. And, you know, whether the location is in Century City or in Franklin or in Cudahy or in Gary, Indiana, they're still going to be operating. So if you don't move the facility to, um, to, to Century City, it's not like they're still not going to continue processing meat. But you have these animal rights protesters that appear and, and kind of complain. Then what happens is you have the alderman for the area, Khalif Rainey at the time, who who should have been turning cartwheels, cartwheels that this project was going to be in his district. He gets some blowback by a couple neighbor from a couple neighbors who say, "Well, you know, this is going to be a, it's going to be a slaughterhouse. Oh, how terrible that is!" And he flips. He says, "Okay, well, you know, I I'm hearing from people in the community, and and they don't." You know, they, they, they say they, they don't want this, again, because I think they have these images of, of a 1910 slaughterhouse. So they're, they're starting to throw up all these roadblocks. Strauss, again, a great, great company, Strauss says, wait a second. <laughs> you know, if, if you don't want us, you know, if, if city of Milwaukee or neighborhood or whatever, if you don't want us, that, that's okay. 
I mean, we don't want to pick this fight. The last thing we want to do is make a, a $60 million investment in an area where you, you don't want us to be there, where we're going to be picketed, where there's going to be all these objections. If you don't want us, fine. We're, we'll just we'll, we'll we'll move on to our plan B. And as a result of that, Century City loses out. Well, the other the other shoe, you know, dropped. Strauss Brands announcing earlier this week that they are number one going to be staying in Franklin. They've said that before, but secondly, they're going to be wait for it. They're going to be building a new facility in Franklin. Um, they've right now they've got a forty one thousand square foot facility in a Franklin business park. They've outgrown that. They want to build a hundred and fifty two thousand square foot facility again in a 30 acre area they estimate that there's going to be probably north of 270 employees who are going to be working there currently they employ about 170 production workers but the bottom line is lots more jobs for franklin lots more money for the community in franklin and you know again Lots more money for everybody. Franklin is turning cartwheels that they're going to continue to have this there. And again, it's a moonscape at Century City. It didn't have to be this way. Didn't have to be this way at all. But for the parochialism, the lack of vision, and the downright stupidity, yes, stupidity, of some of the local officials who, in many cases, didn't even drive out to Franklin to take a look at the plant and recognize that, okay, this, this isn't, this isn't the jungle. This isn't Upton Sinclair's the jungle. This is a modern facility that would be wonderful for the area. And by the way, I don't fault, I don't fault Tom Barrett for this. Barrett did everything he could to make it happen. Don't fault the business development people in Milwaukee. They did everything they could to make it happen. But you look at this and you say, okay, if you've got a community that desperately needs jobs, that turned up its nose at a great southeastern Wisconsin company like Strauss, how in good conscience, how are you going to get any other company to want to relocate, particularly in areas outside the immediate downtown, in an economically depressed area that doesn't have great freeway access? It would have been a godsend had they gotten Strauss there. They said they didn't want him. Strauss said, fine, we'll stay put. Franklin's victory is a loss for the city of Milwaukee. And you know what? That area continues to be vacant. My guess is it's going to be vacant for the next several years. Good move by the aldermen, I say sarcastically, and some of the neighbors who, again, just missed the boat big time. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Pella now, pay later. All right. Um, yesterday, we, we talked about this. I actually sent out a tweet on it. You can follow me at Wagner. At, it's um, at Jeff Wagner 620. And it, it was one of the most staggeringly clueless and irresponsible things that I, I think I've ever seen come from a state politician. Um, Tony Evers earlier this week pronounced that he had no regrets about how the state handled the rioting in Kenosha. Um to which my response was, okay, $50 million in damages, over 30 businesses burned to the ground, who knows how many injuries, and Tony Evers has no regrets about how the state handled the rioting in Kenosha. All I have to say is, is wow. Just, just wow. All right, so that, of course, is just kind of the, the cherry on the, the cake of 
the, the dumpster fire that I think has been Tony Evers in the first two years that he has been in, in office. So, you know, we talked about that, and I've gotten a number of emails saying, okay, Jeff, you you got to realize that there is a recall effort. You're very critical of the governor, don't think he's doing a good job at all, and kind of topped off by his failure, at least in my opinion, to you know address the violence that has been going on in communities, including Kenosha, Madison, etc. So, all right. How do you feel about this ongoing recall? When it was first announced, you came out and you you said you didn't think it was a good idea. You wouldn't be supporting it. Have you changed your mind? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer is is no. I, I haven't changed my mind. And, and, and here is why. First of all, I do not believe in recalls for the sake of recalls. I thought the Walker recall over a matter of policy, Act 10, was wrong. To me, recalls are something you use when there's misfeasance, when there's malfeasance, like the Milwaukee County pension scandal going on 20 years ago. But but not the fact that, gee, Scott Walker got elected and now he, he wants to, you know, have Act 10 implemented. I didn't think that was an appropriate thing for a recall. Do I disagree with a lot of the policy decisions that Tony Evers has made? Absolutely. Do, do I hope that he is a one-term governor and somebody comes along and uses... I don't know, some of the decisions that Evers ha- has made, some of the overreaches, some of the failure to appreciate that, you know, maybe we really need to, I don't know, condemn the rioters and, and put an end to this before Kenosha was able, was burned down, you know, in large measure. Okay, yes, th- those are all legitimate issues. I fault the policy, but I don't think it's appropriate to recall somebody. On top of that, I, I just don't see it succeeding. I mean, here's the reality. You need 670,000 signatures to start a recall, to to get the recall going. The organizers have until October 27th to gather those signatures. It's it's just flat out not going to happen. That that's at least in my opinion that's that's just the reality. It's an exercise in futility. Six hundred and seventy thousand signatures are are a lot. And while I appreciate say, you know, the, the accomplishments of things like places like groups like Citizens for Responsible Government that organized the Milwaukee County recall 20 years ago to do a statewide recall. Um, you, you need money behind you. You need strong organization. I, I just don't see it happening. But more importantly, I don't think it should happen. I think politicians get elected. I'm the guy that says all the time that elections have consequences. And the consequence in this case is that you have the leadership of Tony Evers. You can disagree on policy, and that's a reason to run against him if he decides to run for reelection two plus years from now. But to, to toss him out of office because you disagree with his policies, I just don't think that's what recalls are for. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. David in Mequon. David, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. <clears throat> really quickly, um, you know, I can't stand the governor. Um, I've actually sent emails, messages and stuff. But as far as to your point with this, no, I don't think the recall is beneficial for the simple reason is this. He's going to be able to raise unlimited funds yep. uh, for, for governor. And, uh, and then the other thing is, from what I understand, the person who actually uh, got this started is actually, from what I understand, kind of on the shady side. 
Yeah, um, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Thanks for calling, David. Yeah, I mean, I, I look. I, I nobody knows. Nobody knows too, too much about the person that was organizing. This is not something that's organized by the Republican Party of Wisconsin or, or anything like that. To your first point, though, you, you are exactly right. During a recall, the person who is the subject of the recall has the campaign finance laws essentially go out the window. You can raise an unlimited amount of money for the purpose of, quote unquote, fighting the recall. So all these different limits and stuff, you know, go just, you know, are are, are set aside. Now, there's limits as to what you can spend the money for. But still, you know, we're in the middle of a presidential election. Wisconsin is a battleground. There's, you know, efforts to try to I mean, there's a reasonable opportunity that the Republicans might obtain veto proof majorities in both the assembly and the state senate all right i would argue that if you're trying to do that if that's the goal you're much better off concentrating your efforts on trying to get veto-proof majorities in the state senate and the state assembly then you are worrying about tilting at windmills to try to you know start and fight a recall effort for tony evers that like i say in all likelihood is not going to succeed i mean look at what happened with the walker recall you had every national group and its brother on the left, united in the cause to try to take to, to take Scott Walker out, you know, figuratively speaking, in the electoral process, and it failed, and it made Walker stronger and led to his reelection um, a couple years later. I, I just. I, I don't see this getting traction. And again, it's not because I'm a fan of Tony Evers. If you're a regular listener to the show, you know that, you know, that that's not the case. It's just the reality that this is not going to work. I've been doing this long enough. I've, I've seen how recalls work. I've seen successful ones. I've seen ones that are failures. This one is doomed to fail. And more importantly, it is a distraction. And that's not coming from a Tony Evers fan. It's coming from somebody who understands the world of politics. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. 19 years ago today, September 11th, 2001, uh, something that was absolutely unthinkable for at least my generation of Americans happened. We were the victims of a terrorist attack by foreign operatives on U.S. soil. There are certain days in people's lifetime that you always remember where you were. My, my father, who passed away several years ago, and my mother, they both, um, they, they were, I don't know, probably 12, 13 years old on December 7th, 1941. They, they, but they could, as I was growing up, they could tell me where they were when they learned that the Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor. And it was something that stuck in their minds vividly. In my lifetime, the first event like that I remember is I, I remember learning about the assassination of President Kennedy in 1963. I was in first grade. And I can I can remember the principal coming into the first grade class and telling the teacher. I remember the teacher saying that. I remember them called off school. They sent everybody home early. So I, I remember the Kennedy assassination. I And I remember... You know, watching the funeral on a black and white television set, and we all had black and white TV sets in the day. Um, at at you know over that that next weekend, I can remember, of course, and we we talked about this last summer. I can remember vividly where I was when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. That was what uh, in July of 1969. So you know, we we just came up on the 50th anniversary of of walking on on the moon. So I can remember. I remember that. Ah, uh, 
There are a couple other events as well, but but those are two that, that sort of stick in mind. I remember the Nixon resignation in, in 1974 for Watergate, and I clearly remember seven, September 11th, 2001. Now, I was talking about this with Scott Warris. He's filling in for Steve Scafidi earlier today. I was working here at WTMJ, and I can remember being at my house in Whitefish Bay, and I was actually in my office, and I had was listening to WTMJ on, on an AM, FM clock radio, and I had a... And my wife calls from the other room, and she says, turn on the television. I had a little you know, portable TV, not hooked up the cable, turned it on. And I remember seeing right after the first plane had hit the, the first of, of the Twin Towers. And the initial reports were that this was like, it made it sound like it might be a, a commercial aviation accident. Well, okay, I didn't realize at first that it was a commercial airliner that had flown into the tower. But still, I mean, the speculation was, was this just some horrible error? How could this happen? And then not that long afterwards, a second airliner flies into the second tower. And then not that long after that, you see the first tower ending up co- collapsing. And then you realize, I mean, especially after that second tower was hit, this is no accident. This is an attack on American soil. Then you start hearing about, you know, the other things going on, the, the airliner that crashes into the Pentagon and uh, also the, the one in Pennsylvania. And there's this huge degree of uncertainty. And, and then, of course, there, there's the whole aftermath of that. But that was 19 years ago. And in some respects, that seems to me like it was forever. And in other respects, it seems to me like it was just yesterday. On this program, on this day, every year, we, in an effort to make sure particularly that that younger generations don't forget about that awful day, we always devote one or two segments to a very simple question, and that is, you know, what is what is your biggest memory of September 11th? Where were you on 9-11-2001? And, you know, why? my guess is, like I say, if you were above a certain age, where you are is seared in your mind forever, just like another generation remembers where they were for Pearl Harbor or the Kennedy assassination or walking on the moon. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where were you 19 years ago today? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Where were you when the world stopped turning? That's September 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where were you September 11th, 2001? Let's start with Steve in Silver Lake. Steve, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I actually, I remember very vividly not just the moment, but like the entire day. So I, on September 11, 2001, I was a brand new second lieutenant stationed on the Fort Benning, Georgia, going to the infantry officer basic course. And I remember doing physical training that morning and coming out of the shower and seeing, you know, the Twin Towers come down. Right. Uh, later on that day, I was surrounded by a bunch of brand new lieutenants as well that uh, were about to see their whole lives changed. <laughs> in front of them right right so just, just for the idea that when you you signed up you know i i, I you, there, there's always the possibility that you're going to be in some sort of wartime situation but after september 11 2001 that that suddenly became a lot more real i would imagine it it, it did i mean it, it, it so I, I recently retired after 20 years in the military uh this month and i can say that september 11 2001 has been a defining moment not just 
for that one day, but for basically my entire adult adult life. And I don't just, whenever September 11 comes around, I don't just remember that one day. It's a flashback of 20 years of, of military service. You know, Steve, I, you know, I, I said a couple of minutes ago that it, in some respects it seems like it was forever. In other respects, it seems like it was yesterday. How does, how does it feel to you having started your career right before that and now finished your military <laughs> career? Yeah, you know, I, I would have never have thought that I would have I would have stayed in for twenty years. That was like that was never my um intent. But it was like I just I did deployment after deployment and it just you 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 get brought back into that day and you think to yourself, I'm doing something greater than, you know, I could possibly ever do, right? Right. right. And uh yeah, it just it just it just kinda of stuck with me. And uh, you know, a, a lot of those guys that you know, I was huddled around with, um, you know, September 11, 2001, are, many of them are either dead or they're maimed for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just, it takes a uh, different uh, perspective. Did you end up overseas? Did you serve overseas? I did. I did a total of 42 months over in Afghanistan. Got it. Steve, thank you so much for your service. Thanks for the call. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Land Text Line. Where were you nineteen years ago today? Debbie in West Bend. Debbie, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi. I had a similar story to the start of it. I was in my office that day and I what you said, and I heard it on the radio the first one and then the second one I said, We're under attack. I turned to my business partner. And then shortly after that, I got a phone call from a friend in Brazil whose sister worked in that neighborhood. She was concerned, obviously, about her sister. And so we both kept trying. Fortunately, she was okay, but it still brings back memories. Oh, yeah. And it's just it was just kind of this unthinkable thing. Like I said, I, I, I'm, I don't know what your initial reaction was, but I, I did not think attack at first. I thought aviation mistake. Some Somebody has just taken a wrong turn or whatever. How could that possibly happen? And then once that second building got hit, you knew it was something quite different going on. Yeah, the first one that hit, you know, the way they described it when I was listening, it's not you got the impression at the start that it was a smaller aircraft, yes. not an airliner. Yeah. And then it turned into what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So no, like, no, absolutely. No, thanks. For, no, I know exactly what you mean, because that, that's I was thinking it was like I did not realize it was a, a commercial jetliner. I don't think other people did. Then, you know, then you start wondering about all this, this other stuff. My one of my very, very best friends at the time was working in in Washington, D.C., and, and what he would do, he, he lived in Virginia, and he always, he, he'd take public transportation, and you'd end up, you, he, I think he used to change buses at the Pentagon, and of course, you know, then, then you hear about the attack at the Pentagon, and you start wondering, you know, you know, who, who ended up getting caught up in, in this. Then, of course, you have the aftermath. I had friends who were in, they still tell this story, they, they were in Hawaii, they were scheduled to come back that day, and of course, Hawaii is six or seven hours behind where we are now. So you, you wake up at 7 o'clock in the morning in Hawaii, and it's actually 2 or 3 o'clock in the East Coast. And so they, my, one of my friends tell the story about how he, he just calls the airline to check to make sure that the, their flight home is, is still on schedule, and they tell him it's been canceled. And he says, I started to like say, what, what do you mean it's been canceled, etc." And then they say, sir, have you seen the television? Turn on the TV. And then they ended up being in Hawaii for an extra month. Another very close friend of mine at the time, they were, he and his wife were in the air on the way back from Europe. They got diverted to Newfoundland, and they were up there for a week because the country was absolutely shut down. I think that's something that people forget. 
that we did not know what was going on. You didn't know were there more terrorist cells that were out there. You didn't know exactly what was happening. And so that the country was shut down. There weren't flights, you know, going anywhere. And if you were out of the country, you, you couldn't you couldn't get back into the, the country. Uh, just an incredibly scary time. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, Jeff, I would let's take some text before we go back to the phones. Jeff, I was at school in first grade. That day I decided I would join the military. Now I am in the Marines. You know, that was one of the things, too, that I think people sort of forget about. Um, after, of course, after, you know, after Pearl Harbor, there were, you know, young young men who just rushed to to join the, the military. They they wanted to serve. They wanted to fight for for their country. Now, after September 11th, I, I don't think you had the same explosion of people, you know, rushing to to sign up that you did after you know Pearl Harbor. But you had a lot. You had a lot of young people, just like our first caller, Steve, who I, I think in many respects, September, now he was already in the military, but for a lot of young people, I think September 11th became one of the defining moments again in their life because it's where they made the decision for sure that they were going to join in the military. Jeff, I was in um, Germany training with the 74th Infantry, 173rd Airborne Brigade. Uh, they pulled us in for isolation and potential plans for war deployment. Wow. And and again, I, it's just whenever you join the military, you understand that that's always the possibility. But keep in mind, before September 11, 2001, I, I don't think the people that were in the military at that point in time thought necessarily that there was a likelihood, a possibility, admittedly, but a likelihood that they would... I don't know, be serving tours of duty in Afghanistan or Iraq or whatever. Jeff, I was at the uh, YMCA taking a class, overheard some talk about a plane crash, turned on the TV, watched the shocking events. Jeff, I was in my first semester at UW Sheboygan, was in art class, um, painting a portrait of a nude model, if that's not enough to be ingrained in one's mind. Our professor stopped class, informed us what had happened, and dismissed us. I skipped the rest of the day, went home, and watched the horrific footage replayed over and over again. Yeah, that was one of the things, too. If you can remember back to that day, there was that, it seemed it seemed like every five seconds, that the the planes flying into the, the building and the collapse of the towers was being shown over and over again. Jeff, I was working at Marquette University at the time. Classes were canceled and an all-university mass was held at Zoo at 5 p.m. It was standing room only. I choked up seeing all the young people, especially the ROTC students that I knew would most likely be sent to war. Jeff, I was working at a private home. The TV was on. We learned of the attack on the national news coverage that ensued. It took the wind right out of our sails for the day. We ended up quitting our scheduled work for the day and all went home just devastated by what had happened. Sad, sad day for our country. Um, Jeff, my brother was on one of the first flights out of Milwaukee to go on a business trip. Um, There were five passengers on on the plane. Jeff, my nephew was in China adopting a new daughter. He was stuck there for a while before he could become home. Um, let's see, Jeff, I was at work in downtown Milwaukee. A co-worker on the phone with someone working on the towers yelled out that the towers got hit by something. Then a little later, she yells out the other tower got hit and the person she was talking to had to evacuate. We were all so upset since we did not know if the whole country was under attack. Um, we were able to go home early. 
Yeah, that's that's it. Sue in West Dallas. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Thank you. Hi, Sue. Hi, Jeff. Uh, my husband and I were down south. We were looking around for a home. You know how much nicer it is living with a fellow who's happy, and he likes that hot, sticky weather. So we were in Ocean Springs, and uh, we were looking between Foley, Alabama, and Pass Christian, Mississippi. And we left the motel at uh, 7 o'clock. He had packed up the car, and uh, 7 o'clock I turned off the Today Show. It took us about 10 minutes to get to Highway 10 right down on the Gulf. And by the time we got down there, uh, the shore patrol was out. Pascagoula, Mississippi, mm-hmm. a submarine base is down there. And so we had to get out of the car. A uh, guy got in the car, looked in the glove compartment, looked under the seats. They opened up the trunk, went through our luggage, went through my purse, just went through everything. Right. And then they said we could go on, and they, the gas had already gone up to $4 a gallon. <laughs> right. My husband said, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Well, right down the street, we ran into Keesler Air Force Base, so we had to go through the same thing again. And we liked it down there. My brother had been stationed at Keesler at one time, and they parked these ships out on the water, and then the planes fly, fly into Keesler for, like, overnight. And we'd wave at the young fellows flying the planes. They would be so close to the ground. And, well, they were flying the other direction. They were trying to get the submarines out, the, the planes right. out, and everything, not knowing just what had happened. Well, but uh, we didn't know, should we go home? Should we stay down? What, what do we do down here, you know? Right. Well, we, we, we went down further past Kiln and all those places, and we finally found, well, there was a big casino. We went in there. We thought, we'll eat breakfast. No one was playing any machines. Everybody sat all day long watching the TV. Yeah. But it was an experience. It was, it was sad. I mean, people oh. were crying and not knowing, and th- this was a terrible thing. And shortly before that, we had been there, and they had a... Um, at the Twin Towers, there was a restaurant. It was called On the Top of the World. Right, sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... And it was... Uh, no, so thanks... You know that, that, no, yeah, no, thanks to... No, I mean, I, I, it's just, just a huge... It, it would, I, I think it was just the, the shock that, that affected so many people. Because like, like I say, look, I, I understand that you, know, you, you had Pearl Harbor and at the start of World War II. I, I understand that, but... I think that we in America had just become maybe complacent. Man, it might not be the right word, but but it was just unthinkable that you would have a, a terrorist attack on our soil. Terrorist attacks were what happened in subways in in Paris. Terrorist attacks were you know what what happened in you know um, cafes in Israel. Terrorist attacks weren't stuff that happened on U.S. soil with uh, again people commandeering jets and flying them into buildings. It. It was, in many respects, the age, the end of an age of innocence. And I, I look, I know there's people out there that, you know, when you go through an airport nowadays, you, you go through the different security lines, and you've got TSA, and you've got all, got all this type of stuff, and that's all everything everyone grew up with. I, I'm here to tell you, I mean, it, it was a different world before September 11th, 2001, from security purposes and things like that, just completely different. The, the world changed, period. Is it the protests or is it something else? Last night was the start of the NFL season. 
uh, big game on NBC. You had the world champion Kansas City Chiefs. They were playing against the Houston Texans. Um, they, they beat they beat Houston 34 to 20. The Chiefs beat Houston 34 to 20. And the early ratings are in. Now they're always you, you get these overnights, and then they always end up getting adjusted. But but here's here's the deal. Compared to last year, the numbers are in and they're down a, a lot. Now again, the, these are early numbers. Um, if you compare, if you look at viewers in the adults 18 to 49 category which I think is, I mean, that's what some advertisers like because I guess they figure all of us people over 50 don't buy stuff. <clears throat> but but regardless, they look at the 18 to 40. Well, that that's it. They focus on 18 to 49. And and so, fine. But but that's the what they call the, the target-rich demo. So what they found is um, the ratings in, in that demo, and again, they, they always adjust them a little bit, but um, they estimate that for the game, this game, Last night, compared to a year ago, uh, the ratings are down 16%, and that translates into to several million viewers. Now, there, there's a couple things going on. First, last year was the 100th anniversary of the NFL, and the opening night game was the Packers and Bears. So you have the, these two storied franchises. And with all due respect to the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans, they, I don't think they have the, the cachet that, you know, you have with the Bears. And keep in mind, last year in the beginning, a lot of people thought the Bears were going to be going to the Super Bowl and the Packers, of course, are, are always going to be the Packers. So you had that matchup a, a year ago that was operating. You also had your traditional build-up to the start of the NFL season. You had the preseason games, etc. This year, as we discussed yesterday, it's almost like it was kind of a hard start. I know that you know. I know that they've had the training camps going on and things like that. But I think for a lot of people, the the NFL has kind of been on the back burner. You haven't had any sort of preseason games. It's just been a weird year. It's been a weird year, and of course. Um, even though in Kansas City, I think they had people there, but it was limited to like 20% or 25% of the stadium. It's, it's not like you've got Lambeau Field or Soldier Field and people, you know, you got 60 or 70 or 80,000 people screaming. It's just a weird start to the year. So things are, in fact, different. You've also got, uh, the NBA games that are still going on. So there's perhaps arguably more competition. So you've got all sorts of factors that you could look at and you can say, well, I certainly understand. Plus, you've got everybody that still, you know, concerned about COVID and all the other stuff that's going on. So you can look at the the ratings drop off and there's all sorts of things that you can point to to explain why last night's numbers were were so far down. It's it's, it's no question if if you want to find justifications. The elephant in the room, of course, is whether there's something else going on and whether you know all the 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 talk, the, the social justice stuff, and the, the the protests. I mean, the Houston Texans didn't come out of the locker room for the national anthem. The fact that you know the the NFL, the field, you know, in one end zone they they put you know end racism, and I think in the other end zone they they had Black Lives Matter. And again, r- regardless of of you know the legitimacy and how you feel about that obviously there's some people who look at it and say hey look i i support these causes but you know i i don't i I don't want i don't want social justice movements and, and protests i don't want that with my my sports i want sports to be a haven for that so i mean the elephant in the room is whether or not these protests and i know i've heard from many of you who say that you're 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 done with 
you're done with basketball, you're done with football, etc. From my perspective, even though I, I prefer that some of the social justice stuff stay out of, of the sports, and if you want to do that, you do it on your own time. If you're the athlete, you have every right to do it. But I, I don't know, um, you know, maybe save the protests for your own time. But but regardless, I, I'm still going to watch the Packers. I'm still going to listen to the Packers games. I'm still going to listen to the Brewers games on WTMJ. But, but last night, you saw in a very visceral way that there was a drop-off in, in the ratings. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there is there a negative feedback from the protests? Are there people who actually are going to, I don't know, stop watching football, stop watching sports because they don't want the protests mixed in with their their sports. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know a lot of people have been saying that. I admit I've been somewhat skeptical about that because I keep thinking, okay, if you're a Packers fan, you're a Packers fan, and you know, kickoff is at noon on Sunday, and you know, people, even even if they don't like some of the social protests that are going on and kind of filtering their way into sports, they're they're, they're still going to be watching the Packers game. All right, are the protests going to have a negative impact on? on people who watch sports. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer would be, yeah, I think you're going to start to see some of that play out. Maybe not among, you know, diehard Packers fans who are going to be listening to the Packers game regardless, but among some of the more casual fans who, I don't know, don't necessarily care about a game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans on a Thursday night. All right, those are the people that I think are, are perhaps perhaps not going to be watching. All right, are you turned off to sports because of the protests? And is this going to hurt the NFL moving forward in any sort of big way? 855-616-1620, we discuss next. Hey, speaking of sports, the Wisconsin Sports Awards is an event that honors and celebrates excellence in Wisconsin athletes and teams at all levels of competition from high school to pros. This year, the awards are up to you, the fans. Visit WisconsinSportsAward.com to see the nominees and to cast your vote. Also, by voting, you could win tickets to next year's in-person event. Go to WisconsinSportsAwards.com and vote today. And, and again, I, I, you know, for the last couple months, as the, the protests movement and the social justice movement has been moving its way through sports, there's been a lot of people who are saying, okay, well, th- this is, regardless of how we feel about the merits of this, we, when, when we tune on to the basketball game or we go to listen to the baseball game or we go to watch the football game, we, we, we don't want to see the protests. We just want to see the sports. If the athletes want to go protest on their own time, that, that's great. And there's been a number of people saying, okay, well, we're, we're not going to watch it. I have been skeptical of that. Last night, first game of the year, and admittedly, that the matchup I don't think is necessarily that great. It wasn't a marquee matchup, Kansas City versus uh, Houston, but the, the numbers were, were down dramatically, about 16% from last year. A lot of different explanations for it. Did the protests play a role? Here's a couple texts before we go to the calls. Jeff, when the Texans didn't come out, I turned off the game. Yeah, the Texans did not come out for the national anthem. Jeff, I, for one, have stopped and will not watch any pro sports anymore. Just wait until you see all the numbers dropping. Jeff, judging by the comments I saw on Facebook last night, I think the protests had a huge effect on people, as many seem turned off by it. For me, it doesn't matter. I've got too much money vested in fantasy football leagues. Love watching sports, so I'm going to participate in um, I'm going to participate in 
viewing. Jeff, I did not watch the Bucks play. I'm not watching the Brewers play. I will not watch the Packers play. Um, and then they go on to talk about how, you know, I, I just, I, I don't, don't support some of the things that are driving the protest movement. Um, Jeff, my husband is a veteran. My son-in-law is a cop. We are very disappointed with teams disrespecting the national anthem flag, as well as sports teams in Wisconsin not standing behind police officers. Uh, per their statement, after the Blake situation, we were avid watchers. Not happening anymore. Now, in fairness, the sports teams would say that they don't think that's an accurate characterization of where they are, but. I mean, it is what it is as to how people perceive this. All right, 855-616-1620. Tyler in Fond du Lac. Tyler and WTMJ, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yeah, um, I I personally don't want politics and uh, then the social justice in my sports. Um, I definitely tuned out last night. Close friend of mine um, watched about five, maybe ten minutes, and he tuned out. Um, you know, I... I'm probably only going to watch the Packer games if I'm at a family gathering. Mm-hmm. And our family is seriously you know, considering whether or not we opted out of the season tickets this year. So we have season tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, seriously considering that we might give them up next year, which would be really sad. But if it continues, that's not where I want to spend my money. You feel that strongly um, about it, huh? I, I I do, and I mean, I, it would like I said, it'd be really sad to give up tickets that we waited a long time as a family to get. But right. and I would argue, as another point, that everything with COVID and the lack of a preseason should have built up more anticipation. Yeah. It should have bolstered the numbers for the opening game. Okay. So, as, I mean, I was suggesting that maybe the fact that there wasn't a preseason and stuff, that it just kind of sprung on us. Your argument is that there should have been more anticipation. If anything, the number should have been bigger than last year. Yeah, if that was the only factor at play, yeah, I believe they should have been bigger. Yeah. Interesting. Thanks. Well, I, you know, it's it's funny you, you, should, you should mention the Packers tickets. I'm a, um, I, I have a partial, I have a 20-game season pack that I share with my buddy Evan to the Brewers. And matter of fact, I just got the email yesterday. We had paid for this year, and I just allowed it. To, we, we didn't ask for a refund. We just allowed it as a as a credit. And the deal was they were going to give. I think they gave you a ten percent. They, they gave you a ten percent bonus. So I got the I got the thing yesterday. Renew your season tickets, and it, it's it's funny because I I just did. I'll be honest. I mean, I, I I just did. I didn't think about the protest. I thought, hey, I I enjoy going to baseball games, and so I you know I didn't have to send any money because you know we had the credit that was there. But I, it didn't it didn't the protest. In all honesty, didn't even cross my mind as I was renewing it. All I was thinking is, boy, I hope there is a baseball season next year, and I hope I can keep going back and you know sitting in my seats with, you know, next to my close friend. That's that's what I wanted to kind of that's what I wanted to do. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. But of course that that's I mean I'm a Brewers fan. I'm a Packers fan i i do think the casual sports fan i mean the person on a, on a thursday night that okay maybe you'd watch sports but you don't really care about the game between kansas city and, and texas that's uh, could i see you know the the various the backlash to the protests could i see that being the situation where you know just some casual sports fans decide to heck with it 855-616-1620 let's talk to greg on the west side greg good afternoon Good afternoon. How are you today? I am well, thank you. Okay, what do you think's going on? Is why why were the ratings? Why was there a drop off last night? I believe there's a drop off because a lot of people were just not aware that the game was happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, I under 
I understand politics and the protest, but at the end of the day, if you want to watch the games, you're going to watch it. If someone doesn't want to watch the politics of it, like anything else, you're going to change the channel. People have a right to protest. Mm -hmm. People have a right to be heard. And by whatever media medium is necessary. But at the end of the day, what we're talking about here is whether or not someone's going to turn their television on or off because of the politics surrounding the game in the world. And at the end of the day, that's everyone's choice. If you want to watch, watch. If you don't want to watch, don't watch. Mm -hmm. I don't think a protest is going to affect the financial outcome of the NBA, the NFL, or the or because right. at the end of the day, people are still gonna are still gonna are they're still gonna watch. watch the game. They're still gonna buy the jerseys. They're still gonna do all that stuff that they've always done. You're, you're, if you're a fan of a player, you're a fan of a player, yep. regardless of what players. Often, this is just the most widely heard protest to date. What's going on in the world, and it's atrocious what's going on in the world. But people like players, regardless of the sport. Mm-hmm. They're going to follow their play. They're going to follow who they're a fan of, and, and that's the bottom line. Again, it's like with anything else in the world. If you don't want to see the protest, if you don't want to see halftime, what do people do? They get up and they go get something to eat. They cook. They change the channel. They come back. That's all that's going to happen. Right. Now, thanks for calling. And again, I, I, I think, again, if you're a fan of the team, I, I don't think this affects you. If you're... A casual fan, I think that's where it, it's more likely. And, and I, I do, I, I do tend to agree with you. I, I think this, first of all, it wasn't that great a matchup. You know, I, I think it's, tr- I, I think you gotta be careful reading too much into one particular game because again, unless you're a diehard Houston Texan fan or a Kansas City Chief fan, eh, you know, and, and secondly, I, I do think the lack of exhibition games, this being such a different sort of year, I, I think that the season kind of surprised a lot of people. And we had some people over for dinner, and it was like, oh, yeah, is, is that is that game on tonight? Tonight's the opening game. Oh, yes. Um, Jeff, as a big football fan, the drop-off in ratings are simply because of the protests. I think the Chiefs and Texans is indeed a great matchup between young star quarterbacks. So I think um, your criticism of the uh, – your opinion that the matchup might be a problem is, is not reasonable. Um, let's see, Jeff, if more people give up season tickets, um, the better for some of us that have been waiting forever to get the tickets. The players are just bringing attention to all the injustices in our country. I'm sure they respect the military. Go Packers. Uh, Jeff, I was watching the NFL game. Then I turned to the Lakers Rockets game. Then I watched the Dodgers Diamondback game. I'm a huge sports fanatic. I'll bet I will always watch sports. Um, Jeff, do you have rocks in your head? I don't think so. People are not watching. America means more than watching these idiots in sports. Huh. Well, I, I, people like sports. Sports, I mean, look, sports are a diversion for people, and people are going to always watch them. Jeff, I will absolutely continue. Everybody has the right to express their First Amendment beliefs. Jeff, I don't want politics and sports combined for the right or the left. I just want to watch the game. I canceled the football package. I canceled cable altogether. I dropped my fantasy football. I have not watched any sports. I used to watch them all, and I used to go to the games. 
Um, okay. Um, so there you go. Um, Jeff, um, while I don't want politics messing with my sports, it's not my right to tell the athletes not to support causes at their job. All right. Jeff, uh, and a couple of people making the point that um, a, a lot, the ratings sometimes are influenced by the fact that you have bars and things of the like and that, you know, people aren't back in bars. And so that's you might not have that group watching. I don't know. I think it's interesting. Early numbers were not great. There's a lot of reasons why that might have been beyond the protests. We'll have a better, I think we'll have a better handle on this in the next month or so. I think there's going to be some impact. Is it going to kill the NFL? Of course not. Is it going to kill Major League Baseball? No. Is it going to kill the NBA? No. But I wouldn't be surprised if there is a bit of a drop-off. People have to decide. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, I have a question. Yes. Okay. Now, I, I consider you to be a mature, sophisticated woman of the world. Oh, thank you. Okay. No, I yes. just, okay. I, I, I have a question for you. Oh, over the, the course of your life, have, have you ever had a situation where... You're considering doing something, and there's that little voice in the back of your head that says, this is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. And you, you're, then you, you, you talk to your friends, and they tell you, this is a bad idea. Yeah, I'm considering doing this, and this is a bad idea. And then you, you, you maybe, maybe you, you talk to your parents, and they say, Melissa, I think that's a bad idea. So you've got all that stuff that's out there, but yet you go ahead and do it anyway. So have you ever had that situation occur? I've had a similar situation where it was a decision where my gut was telling me, I probably shouldn't do it, but other friends were saying yes, so I did it. Uh Um, But, you know, not, I don't think if everyone's telling me no, unless it was a dating situation. (laughs) It could be, don't go out with that person, but I did anyway. Yeah. Well, no, I. I, That usually doesn't end up so well. Right. So, I mean, I I, I can give you that classic example. I I know somebody, and I'm not going to name names, but I know somebody, first wife. It was like, okay. Um, everybody said, bad match. Don't do this. You know, everybody, I'm talking about parents. Right. I'm talking about friends. Everybody said, bad match. Bad, bad match. Goes ahead, gets married, and, you know, a couple years later, it the whole thing's kind of blown up. And I remember, like, talking to this person afterwards, and I said, you know, everybody said <sighs> mm-hmm. that this was, it was, and it, it it's not, it's not a reflection on either one of the people. It was just a bad match. Stuff happens. And, you know, I remember talking to this person saying, okay, you know, what were you thinking? Because <laughs> every, everybody saw that this, and the person said, yeah, you know, I, I had this feeling. I thought it was a bad match, too. But I, I don't know. I just went ahead and, and did it. You I know? would and, say that's probably the most common feeling is if uh, I've talked to a lot of people that said, yeah, you know, on my wedding day, I, I knew, but I, I went ahead with it anyway. And, uh, that didn't, you know, it doesn't always work out so well. Right. You know, right. Okay. So that, that's, Trust that, your gut. Right. That's kind of the, the example. Well, it's not just your gut. It's like all, all oh, the other people, people yeah, who are just true. saying, okay, don't, I don't know what you see, but this is not mm. going to work out. Okay. So, right. That, that, I guess that's this comment that yes. is perhaps the most common example that people, you know, end up getting married. And of course, I, by the way, I'm not talking about myself. I've had two wonderful marriages, you know, yes. <laughs> two absolutely wonderful marriages. But I, I do know people, and you probably know people that are in that category. It's kind of like the moth to the flame. You know, the moth knows, I, I don't want to fly into that flame because bad stuff is going to happen. Oh. But yet, 
the moth does it anyways. And you can and see bats, it happening, and right. there's nothing you can do about it. it. Exactly. Okay, so you, you understand the situation, which yes. brings me to what I want to discuss with you. Um, that that's the the example that the the moth to the flame. The uh, again, I'm I'm going to go ahead and get married, even though everybody tells me it's a bad idea. Okay, it, it's it's in that vein. I want to talk to you about a decision that our president made, and, and that is. Okay, Bob Woodward. Bob Woodward has been around since the early 1970s. Bob Woodward, when he worked for the Washington Post, was part of the Woodward and Bernstein team that brought down the Nixon White House. Bob Woodward has made a career over the course of the last, well, I mean, Watergate was 1974. The break-in was, what, 72 or 72? So, I mean, over the course of the last 40-plus years, going on almost 50 years, Bob Woodward has made a career out of, I don't know, you know, taking down presidents. I mean, that that's, that's it. Writing stuff that, generally speaking, paints presidents in a bad light. And Bob Woodward is on top of that. He, he's no conservative at all. And I'm not I'm not indicting his journalistic abilities. But, okay, Bob Woodward is not a guy who, for example, would be someone who we would think would fall in love with Donald Trump. On top of that, Bob Woodward wrote a book a couple years ago called Fear, which was a scathing review of the Trump administration. All right, so... It's not like Bob Woodward is a friend. It's not like you're saying, "Gee, I'm President Trump, and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to I'm going to do interviews for a, a tell-all book that's written by Sean Hannity, who you know Sean Hannity is going to be somebody who's sympathetic. You know who Bob Woodward is. It's not like it is a surprise. So, President Trump apparently makes the decision to be interviewed for Bob Woodward's. Out a new book. It's coming out next week. Um, he, he doesn't sit down for one interview. He doesn't sit down for two interviews. He doesn't sit down for five interviews. He doesn't sit down for 10 interviews. He sits down for 18 separate interviews with the guy who made his career, you know, taking Nick Richard Nixon out and exposing the Watergate thing, who's made his career about writing these, these tell-all books that rarely portray their subjects in a particularly flattering light. And and yet, President Trump makes a decision that I'm going to give Donald Trump what I think you could argue is almost unprecedented. I'm going to give Bob Woodward almost unprecedented access. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to do 18 interviews. And then in the course of doing the interviews, President Trump, and again, I you know, we talked about this yesterday. I, I, I don't know how much you know what what the legs are about the the Woodward revelations that you know Trump Trump is telling him that oh you know COVID nineteen and coronavirus is really bad and then you know two days later he's going out and downplaying it publicly I don't know whether that's going to have legs or not but it's certainly something that's dominated the the news cycle over the course of the last couple days and to the extent that the White House was trying to get on message about something it's taken them off that so I mean I don't know how significant these revelations are going to be, but but you know President Trump decides to sit down and, and have this conversation and say some things to Woodward and then turn around three days later and say something arguably different to the American people. All right, with that backdrop, I have a why question. Our number, 
855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In your opinion, what do you think President Trump could have been thinking? Why in God's green earth would you, knowing you're moving into a, a what's going to be a contested re-election period, why would you give that type of unprecedented access? Why would you sit for 18 interviews with somebody like a Bob Woodward? And I'm not being critical of Bob Woodward, but again, it's you, you know what you get with him. President Trump made the decision to sit and do these various interviews. Now, I don't know what else is in the book, but of course, you, you got the one headline over the course of the last 48 hours that, that came back and, and bit President Trump in, in the butt significantly. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What what do you think was going on? Why did the president do it? If I had to answer that question, it would be one word. That word would be ego. I will explain and we will discuss. Why do you think he sat with Woodward? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think it's one of these kind of baffling stories, knowing that somebody like Bob Woodward is going to be hostile to you. I mean, if, if you read the book he wrote, you know, a, a couple years ago, you, you know he, he's not sympathetic. Plus, he's he's made his career out of writing these exposés. Why would you sit down and give 18 interviews with him, including interviews that, that during the course of it, you say one thing to him, and then three days later, you go out and you say something different to the public? Now, again, history is going to decide how damaging the book is, but it, but it's certainly been something that's dominated the last couple cycles. My explanation would be ego. That is, President Trump thinking that he's the, the smartest guy in the room and that his, by sheer force of force of will... He can, I don't know, convince people who might otherwise be hostile to him to, to come around to his way of of thinking. Um, I, I, th- that's the only explanation I can have. Um, let's see. Let's go to a couple texts before we go to the calls. Uh, Jeff, um, I'm not a Trump supporter, but I was saying to my husband last night, why in the world would our president give Bob Woodward one interview, much less 18? Insanity. Jeff, I disagree. I think the president knew that Bob Woodward would be hostile anyways, so it was best to agree to the interview in the hope of having some control. It's following the Machiavellian strategy, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Well, that strategy didn't work out very well, I thought. Jeff, I think the president thought he could outsmart Woodward. Um, he was set up by his own party. Jeff, I don't think he was thinking. Uh, Jeff, ego, maybe. Maybe he's hoping he'd get a positive review. Well, I, I think obviously that's that's what's going on. You're hoping that he, he's going to get a positive review, but the, the, the likelihood is... Okay, I mean it's it's Bob Woodward. You read the first book he wrote, you you know this guy is not a Trump supporter. Jeff, I think um he did it because he has nothing to hide and he isn't afraid of any um rhetoric. Jeff, I think it was pure narcissism. I'm using the word ego, but but that idea that um okay, I I can I I I want this story. I if I talk to him, he's going to love me. And then, you know, I, I, I'm going to get all this attention. I mean, I do think it is true that for all the, 
all the attacks that the president makes on the, the fake news and the mainstream media and stuff. At the same time, he reads the New York Times. Uh, you know, Bob Woodward, if you were somehow able to get, you know, this glowing book coming from a member of the Washington establishment, oh, I mean, I think he would enjoy that. But the, the reality is that was never going to happen, was it? Gianni and Montello, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Um, you know, I, I think Donald Trump is way overconfident. And, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm being facetious, but he probably made a deal with the devil uh, years ago in his early life. And he skated, th- skated uh, through life um, without being challenged. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Woodward, um, I, I, who would ever sit down with, with Bob Woodward? Because he, he's going to be critical of, of the president. Right. But I think it's just arrogance and overconfidence. And look, uh, Jeff, you were a federal prosecutor. Yes, right? Yes, I was. I was, yeah. What was what, what was the last type of uh, defendant that you would want to encounter? Someone that keeps his own counsel and keeps his mouth shut. And Donald Trump can't do that. <laughs> yeah. No, it it is. You the- know, if you're... You know, you know, like I, um, if you're if you're going to be in the mafia, uh, you're not going to you don't want to be John Gotti out there with, with the fancy clothes and uh, on the steps of the courthouse being, you know, cameras in front of you. You want to step back and, uh, you know, just kind <laughs> of uh, uh, keep it cool where nobody knows where I live. I, you know, I, I don't dress uh, in high fashion. Trump hasn't learned that. No, it, it, it's funny. Funny you should mention that. I'll just, I'll just tell a side story. You know, back back when I was a federal prosecutor, I spent the last several years, and, and this was during President Reagan, and the first President Bush, the war on drugs and things like that. And we were, um, I, I mean, I I was with the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force and handled a lot of major narcotics cases. And I, it's funny that you mention that, Gianni, because I do remember this one story. When we we had this one big time drug dealer who was um, he was he was Cuban. And had started running large quant. He and his organization had started running large quantities of cocaine from South Florida up to Wisconsin and distributing it. And at the time, uh, this when when we had made the initial arrests, it was the largest seizure of cocaine in, in state history. It was subsequently usurped, but it, it was a big deal back in nineteen. 19- 86, 87, when it, whenever that was. And I always remember the trial. We have all these guys on trial. And to your point, you would think that if you're accused of running a multi-million dollar cocaine ring, what you'd want to do is you'd want to try to downplay that a little bit. You, you know, you'd want to, whatever your, ex, and I don't know what his explanation, I mean, he was a big dope, dope dealer. I don't know what he was said differently, but you'd, you'd think that, during the trial and stuff, you, you'd want to you'd want to dress, for example, like what whatever it was that you were pretending to be that was other than a drug dealer. All right, I will never forget this guy. The first day of trial, honest to God, as we're picking the jury, he he roll he rolls in. He's got the Rolex on. He's got the you know the the two thousand dollar Italian silk suit. He's you know he he's got. I, I don't know if it was a mink coat or something, but I mean, th- th- he walks in and it was honest to goodness. If you said, OK, pick the dope dealer out in this crowd, th- this is the guy that, that screams out. I mean, it, it's it's the jewelry and it, it's all this stuff. And I, I just remember sitting there thinking, well, 
I don't know, some trials are harder than others, but I've, I've got 60 kilograms of cocaine. I've got $400,000 in cash that we've seized. I got a whole bunch of guns and I look, I've got a guy that looks like Tony Montana out of Scarface. I mean, this jury, it, it, they're going to be back in 45 minutes and that includes the time to go, you know, get lunch. And that's pretty much kind of how the whole thing worked out. But it was just kind of like, oh my goodness, why would you make that particular decision? Now, in this case, I again, I, I think, and and it's both a, it's both a strength and a weakness of the president. And I, I mean, the the president, I I think believes that by power of his sheer will alone, and whether it's bravado or whether it's ego or whether it's just hey, if people listen to me, I can bring them around. I, I think that's what drove the decision to sit down with Woodward. My guess is there's a lot of people who were sitting there. I don't know if they would say it to the president, but we're sitting there saying, you know, Mr. President, this this probably isn't a very good idea. Have you written? Have you read all the other dozens of books that this guy's written? Did you read the book that he wrote a couple week a couple years ago? Um, but I, I think President Trump, and again, it, it's both a blessing and a curse. I know better than all these people. I can bring them around. And in this particular case, it didn't work out. Again, I don't know what the damage is going to be. As, as I said, it seems like you, you have like every week there's a, a Trump scandal du jour. A couple of weeks ago, it was the uh, upset niece who writes the hostile book saying, OK, the she's upset that she kind of got cut out of the family money. So if she writes the hostile book, you know, quoting the sister who the former federal judge who had some unflattering things to say. And that's the headline. And then last week, it's the story in the Atlantic talking about the president. And, um, you know, did he say stuff disparaging the troops this week? It's the Woodward book. I don't know how, you know, whether there's a cumulative effect of all that. But in this case, it is kind of like self-inflicted. Why would you sit down with Bob Woodward? Back with more in just a minute. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. Yeah, it's that time of the week. If you're a new listener to the program, we call this segment Pop Culture Corner. It's the time of the week where we stop talking about politics and we stop talking about, I don't know, the COVID-19. And we stop talking about the social justice movements and the protests. And we try to have a little bit of fun as we go into the, the good weekend. Um, sometimes we talk about music. Sometimes it's movies. Sometimes it's books. Sometimes it's travel. Sometimes it's food. It just kind of depends on things that are going on in the world in the week that kind of tickle my fancy that I think you might find interesting. And today, our pop culture corner is going to come from the world of television. Now, Jordan, who is producing the show, my regular producer, Gru, is getting married tomorrow. So um, getting married tomorrow up in Escanaba, Michigan, as a matter of fact. So here, um, here is my question. Do you, do you know who Diana Rigg is? I do, yes. From this morning, actually, I heard the oh. uh, Gene and Jane talk oh, about talking it. talking about Diana mm-hmm. Rigg. Okay, well, here, here is here, here's the deal. Back in the early 1960s, there was a British TV show called The Avengers, and it was in black and white. And the, it, early 1961, when it premiered, this is about the time 
that the, the James Bond movies are coming out. The first James Bond movie, um, Dr. No, was in 1962. And The Avengers is a British television series, and it's kind of a secret agent type of thing. Um, it, it, ran, it ran from like 61 until 1969, but it, it was a British TV show. And, and this is the time in the early 1960s that, that people are going nuts over James Bond. And the, the, the male star of it was a guy named Patrick McNee, who played, you know, he played a guy named John Steed, who was the super cool, you know, agent, wore, you know, had always had the umbrella and had the, um, the, the bowler hat and things like that. And he had a series of female partners during the course of the, the show. The most famous partnership that he had involved Diana Rigg, who, interestingly enough, was an actress who was trained at the at London's Royal Shakespeare Academy, and she'd starred in all these Shakespeare shows. Well, at the age of 27, plays, at the age of 27, in 1965, she gets cast as uh, the, the latest partner for for the for Patrick McNee and her character is named Emma Peel and she goes on to play Emma Peel for four years this is about the time 1965 when the Avengers TV show which was made in Britain is coming over to the United States and um, it, it really it kind of took the US by storm and you know people liked the show but people really liked Diana Rigg who was uh, extremely attractive had that great British accent. They would they would dress her in like these tight kind of like at least the you know, pseudo leather type of outfits and stuff. And an entire generation of of men fell in love with Diana Rigg as Emma Peel. And so she she always said she did the show to make some money. She said her her first love was the theater, but you know that but you know the Avengers paid the the bills. And and she went on. She did the Emma Peel character for four years. She went on to do a lot of other stuff, plays and things like that. But I think this was one of these roles where, you know, for for generations of people, she was always going to be Emma Peel, one of these unforgettable characters. Um, I bring this up because she passed away this week at the age of of 82. Um, Most recently, she was on Game of Thrones, so some people might have known her for that. But like I say, Emma, she was always going to be Emma Peel. This character she played for four years, didn't matter what she did with Shakespeare, didn't matter what movies she was in, she was going to be Emma Peel. She created a defining character that really remained in people's consciousness. And like I say, she passed away earlier this week. I thought, in recognition of the passing of Diana Rigg, a person who, again, captured America's attention, at least a lot of people in America, a lot of guys in America's attention, with this unforgettable character. I thought we would talk about television characters today with Pop Culture Corner. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It can come from the world of comedy. It can come from the world of drama. But as you think back on all the television you've watched over the years, what is the most, who, which character, in your opinion, is the most unforgettable? When you think about television, I don't, I'm not necessarily talking about the actor, but I'm talking about the character. When you think about television and all the TV that you've watched, serious dramas, comedies, whatever, and I say, okay, name the most unforgettable character that you have seen on television. Who is that character? Could be male, could be female. 
most unforgettable character. Could be comedy, could be drama. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, we're going to take a quick break. As I always advise during these segments, call quickly because our phone lines tend to jam up, and I want to get to as many calls as I possibly can. In addition, go with your first instinct. Sometimes people tend to overthink this. There's not really any right or wrong answer, I don't think. Just when I say most unforgettable television character, what is that character? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a minute. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. And, and for, we're, we're focusing on television characters. People are calling in with, like, movie characters. No, no, that's another topic. We're, this is this is in honor of Diana Riggs passing and the Emma Peel character, the most unforgettable character on television. Uh, before we go to the phones, let me share some thoughts. Uh, Diane from Cheers, that would be Shelley Long. Gilligan, Bob Denver. Frank Gallagher from Shameless, that's the Bill Macy character. Shameless is still on. Uh, Matt Nokonomowak says, Kramer of Seinfeld is the correct answer. It is the only answer. Um, Lucy Ricardo. Barney Fife, the Don Knotts character. Barney Fife would definitely be in my top uh, five. Perry Mason. Um, Jeff, by far, it's James Garner as Jim Rockford. He was cool. What else can you say? Kelsey Grammer as Frazier. Al Bundy or Daisy Duke? Huh. That's... um. <laughs> Those are those are two contrasts, but unforgettable characters. You know, Al Bundy, no question about that. And Daisy Duke, yeah, I was one. Jeff, I'm from Milwaukee. It would have to be the Fonz. That would be Henry Winkler. Okay, 855-616-1620. Let's start with uh, Gene in Waukesha. Gene, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. Hi, Gene. My answer, my answer was Gilligan. Okay, Bob because Denver. Because that was the first one that, that came to mind. But by that same token, and you were talking about generations of guys, if you just went Ginger or Marianne, everybody knew what you were talking about. <laughs> That's, that, no, you're thanks. You know, the, the amazing thing about Gilligan's Island is the, the show ran three years, three years. And, and yet, and it, it, pro- it went off the air, I want to say 1967 right around there and, and and you're right you can still to your point gene you can still say did you like ginger or marianne better and, and people you know in in 2020 will still have strong opinions and will go to the mat on on whether you like ginger or marianne better it is a show that's never gone out of the american consciousness and um it, it forever i mean after after that Bob Denver was always going to be Gilligan. I was reading something just the other day. This is, a, again, I, I get sidetracked when I'm like doing research for the show and you see these stuffs. Apparently, the, the creator of, of Gilligan's Island and Bob Denver, they always disagreed about whether, on the show, they never revealed whether Gilligan was the first name or the last name. And, and Bob Denver always thought that it was the last name and Sherwood Sports always thought it was the first name and they, they created never, never could get along on that let's talk to Cliff Cliff you're on WTMJ hello hi how you guys doing real well thank you okay the so most memorable character I, I, uh, Hawkeye Pierce oh Alan Alda in MASH yep I mean there was Alan, a time in MASH yeah, I mean, there was a time Alan Alda was the big star on TV, MASH during its heyday, and you know, MASH ran, but the Korean War lasted three years, and MASH ran, what, 12 or 13 seasons? It was incredible. 
1213, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. No, no, thanks for calling. Okay. No, and that, that was, and of course, that there was this time where, you know, all, all men were supposed to be like Hawkeye Pierce. Everybody wanted that, that compassionate kind of rogue that was out there. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, we got Bob. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Okay, most memorable, un- most unforgettable television character. Cosmo Kramer. <laughs> the uh, the the Michael Richards character of, of Seinfeld. There were a lot of great characters, but that that was an he was an incredible he that was an incredible performance, no question about it. Absolutely. All right, thanks for calling. You know, it's and it's interesting. Unlike un, unlike some of the the other characters, you know, Julie Louise Dreyfus and Jason Alexander, who went on to do other stuff, Michael Richards really. Really hasn't. He, I don't know whether it was typecast or, and, and he had a couple high profile flame outs as well. But, you know, no, no question about it. That, that was in a really, really memorable character that he had. Okay, let's see. Uh, let's go to Bruce in Oconomowoc. Bruce, you're on WTMJ. Most memorable TV character. Well, it would have to be Adam West from Batman, and of oh. course Julie Newmar as Catwoman. <laughs> well, that, yes, in the, the yeah Adam West, it, you know that that Batman TV show. I mean, I was I was just a kid when that thing premiered in the '60s, and it's, mm-hmm. it's just it's amazing how popular. I mean, it, it was like a skyrocket for the the first year and a half or so. Then it kind of fizzled, but I mean, there there was there was a bat craze all over this country, no doubt about it. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. It absolutely was. Oh, no, sure. it, it, right. It, it, you know, the Batman, it just, and of course, then, you know, after that, you had all the Batman movies that weren't campy or anything like that. And Adam West, he was a guy that just, I he, I think he resented at first being typecast as Batman and then ultimately kind of embraced it, just like, uh, uh, you know, if you wanted another major character, it would be like Captain Kirk from Star Trek, just like William Shatner. Um, he, I, I think, he resented the fact that you know everybody recognized him and knew him as Captain Kirk. And then, you know, for a while, after a while, he started to realize, you know, this isn't a this isn't a very bad gig, bad gig, and I I can make a bunch of uh, money doing this. Mark in Whitewater. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Doctor Richard Kimball, the Fugitive. David Jansen from the Fugitive. You're dating yourself. That that was a really big TV show back in the early '60s as well. Yeah, it ran for four years, and it actually did have a conclusion to it. And up till the uh, final episode of MASH, the final episode of The Fugitive was the most watched TV episode in TV history. Yeah, it, it was. No, th- thanks. For, I mean, that that's right. I mean, of course, and that was back in the time before cable. And, and yes, there, there was a time before cable where you had the, the three major networks, and then you had PBS, and then you had like like maybe one or two like UHF channels. But, you know, there there weren't that many viewing choices. Now, between all the different channels that you can get on cable or satellite and then all the different streaming services, you're, you're never going to have TV shows that do the kind of ratings, at least episodic TV shows that do the kind of ratings that MASH or The Fugitive or those type of things did, uh, just because the, 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 the viewing audience is so split. Um, Karen on the north side. Karen, you're on WTMJ. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I hit the wrong button. Jim, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, hi. hi. Uh, I got a tie between Carol Connor, All in the Family. Archie Bunker. And Red Fox. Red Fox and Sanford and Son. Yeah, Fred Sanford. It, thank You know, it's interesting that you should mention that. I mean, Archie Bunker 
played by Carol Connor, was, again, one of these transformative performers on, on TV. It, it changed. Norman Lear did the All in the Family sitcom, and it, it changed. It, it took, I mean, sitcoms from sort of the Beverly Hillbillies, the Petticoat Junction things, and it took it into some of that, that more hard-edged, like kind of real-world sort of comedy. And uh, Carol O'Connor, who was nothing like Archie Bunker in real life, became, you know, Archie Bunker. The Sanford and Son thing is interesting because, you know, Red Fox, who was a comedian, um, became Fred Sanford. I, I was reading something. That there's a lot of push nowadays that to not to not show Sanford and Son anymore because people are thinking it, it's stereotypical and it's, you know, paints, you know, the certain members of the African-American community in a bad light. I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's clearly dated and was a product of its time. But, yeah, Red Fox created an indelible character. Now, Karen on the north side. Karen, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I'm going to say Bart Simpson. It used to come on after the Tracy Roman show in the beginning, right. and then it just kind of evolved adult, you know, cartoon humor, if you will. Well, well and, and you talk about longevity. I mean, that that's the what the longest-running scripted TV show in, in television history, I think. Just, you know, people still yeah. love The Simpsons. No, yeah. I... Now, thanks to call. You know, and, and the, one of the great things about that is that is one of the great things about the cartoons is that you never, you, you know, if you have kid actors, they age. You know, if you have adult actors, they they age. Um, you, it's just a completely different situation when you're dealing with cartoons. Okay, let's see. Um, Archie Bunker. I'm going back to text here. Mary Tyler Moore. Um, I don't know whether they're talking about the Mary Tyler Moore show or when she played Laura Petrie, great characters that she created. Elliot Ness, yeah, Robert Stack played him. Hawkeye Pierce, William Shatner, not from Star Trek, but from Boston Legal. Uh, Legal. Let's see, um, Lotka, um, that, and, and Jim from Taxi. Uh, Lotka, of course, would be the Andy Kaufman character. Yeah, this is one I'm surprised more people didn't say, J.R. Ewing. I think you can argue that the J.R. Ewing might be the most, and, and again, it's going back to the 80s, but J.R. Ewing, the Larry Hagman character on Dallas, might be the most unforgettable character because it's impossible to describe how big that TV show was at the time. Walter White <clears throat> from Breaking Bad. Yeah, that's a pretty good one as well. Let's see. A lot of people for Archie Bunker. Jerry Mathers as the Beaver. Matt Dillon, James Arness for over 30 years on the show Gunsmoke. Yeah, a lot of people saying that. John Ritter from his Threes country, uh, Company show. Um, yeah, kind of interesting. Benny Hill, that's eh, the British show. Jackie Gleason, Andy Sipovitz as played by Dennis Franz. All of these are, are great, and it, it demonstrates, again, the, the role that the TV has in, in our life. And you, you think about some of these characters, and, and you know, once you play one of these unforgettable characters, you are kind of typecast. I mean, okay, th- think about Don Knotts, and think about all the different stuff he did. You looked, you looked at Don Knotts, and Don Knotts was always going to be Barney Fife. Andy Griffith was always going to be, no matter what he did, I understand. My wife watches Matlock from time to time, the reruns of that show. doesn't matter. It, it, it's, it's Andy Griffith. You know, that, that's, that's who you see. You see the Andy Taylor character from, you know, the, the Andy Griffith show. That, that's, that's what you see. Every time I see Alan Alden, Alan Alden's gone on to do all sorts of stuff. I look at him, I see Hawkeye Pierce. It's because the effect that I think television has on us, 
um, you know, Brian Cranston, he's always going to be Walter White. You're, you're going to look at him, and, and maybe you can appreciate the other roles he's playing. I, I saw him, he did this stage play. Um, I saw a film of that where he's, he's LBJ. He's a great actor, does a great job. I'm still looking at him, and I'm waiting for um, you know the characters to bust through the door and say, okay, it's time to make more meth. I don't understand he's playing LBJ, but he's always going to be Walter White. Okay. That's Pop Culture Corner for this week. Back with another edition, same time next Friday. Let's take a quick break, then we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.